From the Schmoes No Network Studios in Los Angeles, California, it's time for Profiles with your hosts, Alicia Malone and Scott Mant. Hello, Schmoville. Or should we say... Good evening. evening. Welcome to episode 12 <laughs> of Profiles. And boy, what a show today. Now, every week, Alicia and I, we always come and say, today we're going to talk about one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. But yeah. today we are really talking about the greatest, the master of suspense himself, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, the, he is the first director I ever knew the name of. I feel Ooh. like I grew up watching Hitchcock movies. He has uh, some great trademarks in all his films, which I love, like The Innocent Man on the Run, The Icy Blonde by His Side, his camera shots are always quite voyeuristic, great humour in there, as well as murder and intrigue, and then murder. murder, and then The MacGuffin, which we'll be talking a lot about as we get into his movies. Well, the master of suspense, they don't call him the master of suspense for nothing, the build-up is the key to suspense, and when mm-hmm. you look at his very best movies, like we are going to do right Yay. now, you see that it is all about the build-up. It is. Because you really get to know the characters, you really get to know the story, and then in his very best films, he pulls the rug out from under you, twists it, twists it around, mm-hmm. makes you totally question what you just saw, you have no idea where it's going, yeah. <laughs> and they are just masterpiece after masterpiece, particularly in the late 50s. And his style is so distinct, so very much his own, that the term Hitchcockian Hitchcockian. (laughs) is used to describe anything that that feels similar to an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Well, a wonderful life indeed that actually started way back in the 19th century. Alfred Hitchcock was born in 1899. He made over 50 films in over six decades. Six decades, starting with uh, 1925 and ending in 76. Wow. And he cameoed. In 39 of them. I love that. I love looking for the Hitchcock cameos. Yes. It's like, oh, there he is. There he is running for the bus. <laughs> well, we have a, a supersized It's a Wonderful Life today because Hitchcock did indeed have a wonderful life. So let's hear it. Alfred Joseph Hitchcock was born on August 13th. 1899 in Leytonstone, England. In the 1920s, Hitchcock designed the titles for many silent movies. His first feature as a director was 1922's The Number 13. But since it was never completed due to financial setbacks, his first official feature was 1925's The Pleasure Garden. Hitchcock found his footing in the early 1930s with The Man Who Knew Too Much, which he eventually remade, and The 39 Steps, which many consider to be the best film from his early period. In 1940, Hitchcock made his first American film, Rebecca, which won the Oscar for Best Picture. Between 1925 and 1976, Hitch directed more than 50 feature films, many of which are hailed as the greatest movies of all time. Alfred Hitchcock was nominated for Best Director five times, yet it's hard to believe that he never won. But in 1968, the Master of Suspense was honored by the Academy with the prestigious Irving G. Thalberg Award. Hitchcock was married to Alma Ravel from 1926 until his passing at the age of 80 on April 29, 1980. They had one child, daughter Patricia. The poster for 1954's (laughs) Rear Window captures... (laughs) That was just a little sneak peek of our 
big picture, which is coming later on. Uh, boy, is that going to be an awesome big oh, picture. Wait yeah. till you see Such it. Such great posters. But what a life. I mean, and he never won an Oscar. I, how is that possible? I don't know. I, I'm glad that he got the Irving Thalberg Award for the Lifetime Achievement, but it just seems so crazy. So crazy like wrong. Like Orson Welles and a few others. Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah. But the thing is, when you think about it, like when we're talking about a lot of the movies now, they weren't really seen as these masterpiece classics until many years later. Mm-hmm. They were ahead of their time. It was like moviegoers and Academy voters, maybe they just had to process what they saw, just yes. like we did. Or maybe, maybe the maybe. Oscars <laughs> aren't the be-all and end-all when it comes to film. Well, the fact <laughs> that we are talking about these movies now still is better than any darn piece of gold that you would ever want anyway don't you think right damn right (laughs) well (laughs) let's just go right into our first oh how appropriate is this our first First blood blood. whoa perfect timing i had a hard time thinking of what my first blood was maybe psycho maybe rear window my dad is a huge movie buff he's the reason why i love films today and Every time, even when we talk on the phone now, straight away he'll say, uh, so what movies have you seen lately? Before he says, how are you? Oh, funny. That's, that's our language. That's, that's your, what we speak. Right. So he would drag me out of bed to watch movies that he felt like I should know about and, and directors I should know about. So Hitchcock was one that he always made me watch. I remember seeing Psycho quite young and just the images stuck in my head. It was very frightening, uh, but I appreciated it at the same time. And I remember Rear Window. So it was one of those two. But I say I had a really great experience recently when I saw Rear Window at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery here in LA when they do those screenings oh, in perfect. summer. Oh, perfect. At a cemetery? Yeah, I think uh, Hitchcock would have loved that setting. <laughs> but just to look around, there was hundreds of people there, everyone sitting in silence, enthralled by this movie years later. And something that I love, Rear Window is one of my favorite films of all time. Seeing that really warmed my heart. Well, I remember seeing Rear Window at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yeah. It was a few years ago before I met you. <laughs> so the fact that they keep showing that movie at the cemetery Great. speaks volumes. What was your first My blood? first blood wasn't... Uh, the the kind of movie you would expect. It was The Man Who Knew Too Much, mm-hmm. the second version that he did with Jimmy Stewart and with Doris Day. And as a kid, I just remember the song, K Sarah, Sarah. Yeah. And now that was a song that Doris Day didn't want to record. She thought it was too kiddie for a Hitchcock movie, yet not only did it win the Oscar, but it also became her signature song. But it was also a movie that I think my folks, uh, my parents sort of eased me into with Hitchcock because they, they saw it as, you know, the, the family, the McKennas, they're on this vacation. They get uh, caught up in the assassination plot that's central to the film. And that was sort of their way of, of bringing me into the Hitchcock fold. Mm. But it was K. Sarah Sarah. Now on the big screen, the first Hitchcock movie I ever saw was Vertigo in September of 1996 when it was completely restored. Good one to see on the big screen. Oh my gosh. San Francisco never looked looked so beautiful. (laughs) And by this point, I had gotten into Hitchcock. I knew his style, but I'd never seen Vertigo at all. Mm -hmm. So to see that on the big screen as my first blood for, for that was... I'll never forget it, obviously, because I remember what it was. Yeah, and now it's one of your favorite films. Uh, yes, it is. Which we will be talking about later on, but kicking off our Fast Five at number five is... Why are they doing this? Ooh, the, the birds! birds! Look out! 
<laughs> what a scary freaking movie this is. Terrifying. Terrifying. Still. Still, still terrifying. to this day, this movie came out on March 28, 1963, and uh, our uh, Tippi Hedren, uh, one of our Hitchcock blondes, won the Golden Globe for Most Promising Female Newcomer. Mm. Now, she had to share it with Ursula Andress from Dr. No and Elkie Summer for the prize, but still, now, re-watching this movie for the first time in a really long time, which is what we do for research on profiles, <laughs> and boy, is it fun, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's the best research ever, but watching the birds again, every time I see it, I'm struck by how terrifying it is. It's a monster movie. It's also an apocalyptic movie. Yep. It came right after Psycho, and the, he had huge success with Psycho, so... There was three years in between Psycho and The Birds, which is actually the longest break in his entire career. It was also one of the biggest budgets of any movie he'd done, $3.3 million, which at the time was a lot of money. But it's it's more complex than, than you think when you f- first see it. It's not just about birds attacking people. It's very ambiguous. Like, and why are they attacking? Exactly. There's been so many theories about it. We love our theories. But I <laughs> adore the ending. I like that you never know why the birds are attacking humans. Is it nature attacking us for what we've done to our planet? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That would seem more appropriate today, wouldn't it? Yes. But that is an ending that, first of all, it doesn't say the end, which is what was common in most films back in the day, because Hitchcock wanted to convey the feeling of unending terror. Now, as you know, the end of the film, there are Rod Taylor and Tippi Hedren, they're driving off, and all the birds are just all over the side of the street and on the, the, the poles and everything. Everywhere. But the original coda for the film showed a shot of the Golden Gate Bridge overlooking San Francisco, and the Golden Gate Bridge was covered with birds. And that feels very Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, doesn't it? Yeah, it so does! Oh my gosh, that's so true. (laughs) But what's what's great about this film, just like so many of his movies, is just the character build-up. The build-up is the key to the suspense. You don't see the first real bird attack until 52 minutes into the film, and that iconic scene... It doesn't happen until an hour and ten minutes with into the crows. It, with the crows on the handlebars yes. outside the the, the school with and the kids singing. And then that attic scene is so terrifying. Poor Tippy, she had to do that scene for a week. Wow! It only had I think three minutes of screen time, but it took a, a oh even maybe even less than that. But it took a week to shoot. It was one minute, one minute screen time. It took a week to shoot. There were seagulls that were trained to attack her. At one point, she her eye got scratched. Um, Cary Grant visited the. And said, "Wow, you are one brave lady." She really was. She put everything into that role. Well, it took a long, long time for me to realize because I wasn't paying attention to those sort of things back in the day when I was a kid. But there's no score at all in this That's film. Right, it's just the flapping it's of the just wings, the flapping of the wings, and the sounds of the birds. Ooh. And Bernard Herrmann, who was obviously Hitchcock's longtime collaborator for musical scores, mm-hmm. was credited as sound consultant. But the birds, they are relentless. They show no mercy at all. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a swarm of them, and that scene, well, in, in the attic is is terrifying because they're she just when you see when you see Melanie give up like she does until she is saved by Rod Taylor, who was like the Harrison Ford of his day, Aussie, 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 oi, 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 <laughs> and uh, the, the other scene outside the school when the kids are running, these are kids and they're being attacked by birds and they're knocked to the ground and seeing the birds pecking at the back of their necks. Mm. It is, and that's the, the the innocent kids getting yeah. attacked by the birds. It's disturbing. And birds are so nice; you don't expect them to turn on you, but they have those pointy beaks. They, they can do damage. 
damage. They can do lots of damage. And also, being Australian, watching the birds is extra terrifying because in Australia we have these birds called magpies, and they are very <laughs> territorial. They have their nest in eucalyptus trees, gum trees as we call them, and any kid knows from Australia when you're walking home from school and you walk past a tree that has a, a magpie nest in. You will hear the wings before you see the bird. The bird will come from behind and swoop down as close as it can get to your head. Terrifying. So I used to have to put a helmet on and then put eyes on the back of the head. You know, between you and the birds and the helmets and the snakes with your shovel. Yeah. I, I don't know. And the sharks in the water. Everything will kill you in Australia. Everything will kill you in Australia. I'm you, right even the people, on. so watch out. I'm watching out. <laughs> well, perfect. We're talking about Hitchcock. Yeah. But this Halloween. movie, like you said, it was the uh, most expensive of its movies. It had 370 effect shots. Mm-hmm. But, but I want to go back to this theory about why the birds attacked. Yes. And, you know, 1963, when the movie was made, or 62 was made, that, that you didn't have the sort of uh, environmental issues that you're having now. And, I mean, you took a film class, and uh, film class is, and, and what were some of the other theories that you heard about this movie? Other theories that it was all about World War Two. So instead of the seagulls, it was about the, the planes. They were kind of a, a metaphor for the planes, the London air raids. Um, a lot of theories about repre- repressed sexuality. I don't really what? know. What? <laughs> How's a, that? <laughs> I don't know, but there's a lot of um, theories about uh, the character of Melanie and how she was abandoned by her mother and she was looking for a mother figure. Also a lot about Hitchcock's own love for birds and bird watching. There's so much in there, and I like films that are ambiguous because it does allow you to have your own meaning. So whatever it means to you, I think is really great. Well, let's uh, find out what our profilers of Schmilville had to say about the birds. Adam Johnson says, I saw the birds at my first meeting as part of my school's film society, so it's my first blood. (laughs) (laughs) The film, I love when they use our terms. The film is certainly interesting. It starts off as a romantic comedy of sorts with lovebirds. Then it becomes what seems like a campy horror movie with laughably dated effects. Well, I don't know if they're that dated. They're still pretty terrifying. Mm -hmm. That all changes once we see the effects of what nature's monsters can do. The eyeless farmer... Ooh. Oh, that freaked me out, dude. Freaked me out. <laughs> freaked me out. One of the most oh. terrifying scenes I've ever seen. It's there's no soundtrack. It's deafening as you hear only your inner screams. Ooh, Adam Johnson, like you that. go. Even after the film ends, we are still left on the edge as the camera fades out, and we don't know for sure if the characters even survive the drive from the island. Very interesting, Adam Johnson. I love our profilers. They're all so smart. They're so cool. Their comments about film are always right on. Colburn says, The Birds is a terrific film that I feel does not get as much love as it rightfully deserves. Tippi Hedren's performance could be, arguably be Hitchcock's strongest female lead, and the subtle nods to the birds placed sporadically in the first half of the film, that's right, <laughs> oh, just adds to the suspense so carefully created by Hitchcock. I may be in the minority here, but I find The Birds to be Hitchcock's scariest film. Yes, even more frightening than the classic film Psycho. What do you Cole. think? Do you think, it's, uh, do you think it's scarier than scary Psycho? Scary in, in a different way. Scary, as as I said, I see it as a monster movie. Right. So the birds are the monsters, and that is very scary, but very different to Psycho, which is a psychological... Psychological. Psychological. Psychological matching your shirt, yo. Slasher film. Well, let's see if we can get our 
first, yes, I said first guest on the phone right now. JTE. Our good friend JTE is Dial going it. to work his magic, and we are going to just kill time while that is happening. I'm so excited talking by about this. the birds. I'm so excited! An by amazing, this. an amazing performance. It's ringing. It's ringing. It's ringing, and here we go. There's the ring. There's the ring. It's like suspense. Okay, wait, wait, wait for it. Wait for it. Okay. Hello. Hello, is this Tippy Hedron? Yes. Hi, Tippy Hedron. This is Scott Nance and Alicia Malone with Profiles. And we are so honored to have you on our show today. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, we've just been rewatching the birds to talk about Hitchcock in our profile special. It is still so terrifying. Every time I watch it, it is so scary. Why do you Isn't think that wonderful? It is. Why do you think that's yeah. the case? How how has it managed to hold up after all these years? Oh, it's a, it has a life of its own. It truly does. It's 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 absolutely amazing. You know, you know what I just I just did it a month ago. Um, I was up in Bodega Bay on um, Labor Day because I go up every year to sign autographs. There's such a huge uh, response from people about the birds yeah. that they, when they hear that I'm going to be there in the town that it was made and uh, all of that, I mean, it was just it's just too exciting. Well, anyway, I always like to go over to the schoolhouse and all of that. And, and I said, what, what happened to the jungle gym? <laughs> and they said, well, it's gone. And I said, well, I want it. <laughs> and and so they said, well, I think it went to a school, and I found out that it did. So, of course, I couldn't take it away from the school kids. <laughs> and um, so I had, you know, I live on a wild animal preserve, at the Shambhala Preserve, where I've been rescuing lions and tigers mm-hmm. for the last, you know, what, 40 years. Um, and I... I asked that that company who builds all of our fences, all of our huge compounds, if they could do the jungle gym. And they did. Oh, wow. They did an exact replica. It's on it's on our website, Shambhala.org. You'll have to check it out. Yes. Oh, we'll definitely make Hopefully sure that... Hopefully no birds land on that. We'll make sure everybody... Okay, now back to Hitchcock. <laughs> back to Hitchcock. Well, first tell us how you got the word from Universal, you got that first call, and I understand that call came on a particular day. It did. Friday the 13th of October <gasps> wow. in 1961. Perfect. <laughs> and, and Universal, you know, uh, Hitchcock said, when he said to the studio, Universal, that he wanted the girl from the commercial. Yes. You were the girl, I'm and what the was girl. the commercial? Yeah. Well, I've been doing a great number of them in New York, and um, which was a great career. You know, it was so fabulous, and you know the, the commercials pay so well <laughs> that I was able to take um, uh, three months off and go around the world. At wow! One point. Wow! How was your first screen test when you finally got to uh, go in, and and what was it like meeting Alfred Hitchcock for the first time? Well. Um, uh, I I barely even heard it was Alfred Hitchcock, and we were on our way over there. They asked me to sign, look the contract over, study it, understand it, and sign it. Oh. And then we would go over to meet Alfred Hitchcock. So you signed your contract before you even met the man. (laughs) Yes, I did. Was that uncommon back in the day? I I think it's very odd. 
<laughs> it is odd. <laughs> well, tell us, you started filming The Birds in 1962. Do you remember your first day on the set? Uh, yes, we were uh, up on location. We did it. We, we, you know, we did an extensive screen test, a three-day screen test. And um, it was just a test to see what I could do. And we did scenes from um, uh, Rebecca, um, Catch a Thief, and Notorious, three wow. entirely different women. Mm-hmm. Edith Head did my clothes. Bob Burks was the DP. Um, the whole film crew was there. Uh, it was uh, Martin Balsam was flown in to, to be my leading man f- from New York. I mean, they couldn't find an actor in New York, in California. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, it was three days of, of um, uh, fun and uh, um, exasperation because he really tried to break me. During mm. a, one of the one of the times, and uh, I wasn't going for it. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. How but how he, tough did things get on set? We were talking about that attic scene, which took a week to shoot. Yeah, it did. Mm. That must have been really. It tough. did, and it was. Um, you know, when I look back at it, he really didn't need to do that. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's only one you know, minute he really long. Didn't. He <laughs> had enough footage within at least three days. But one of the things we're together. discussing, uh, Tippy, one of the things we're, we've been talking about, how more than any other actress in any of his movies, your performance is the one that stands out above above them all because it was such a, an emotional performance and a physically grueling performance, and you really knocked it out of the park. When you look back on this movie, I mean, you have to have like some pride knowing that you, you took everything that came at you mm. and you really just ran with Tough. it. Well, I did, uh, and, uh, you know, making the, the film itself was absolutely fabulous because of the actors with whom I was working. Jessica Tandy was, of course, a thrill with whom to work, and um, Rod Taylor, and, you know, it was uh, Suzanne Plachette, the late Suzanne Plachette. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I mean, it, it was an incredible cast. Yeah, it was, it was a, uh, and of course, it was a tremendous learning experience for me. What do, you, what do you feel like you learned the most at that time, whether it was from, from Hitchcock or from Rod Taylor or Sean Connery when you made Marnie the, fo- Marnie the following year? What was like yeah, the one lesson? Yeah, that wasn't all bad either. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Look at you. <laughs> I was really very fortunate. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you know something? I learned from everybody. I just, I, I just tried to be a sponge. Um, Alfred Hitchcock and his wife Alma were my, were my drama coaches. Uh, for the birds and Marnie, and um, I couldn't have had uh, you know better better tutors. Yeah, and it was it was amazing, and it was it was so so subtle the way you know they talked to me about about the uh, you know first of all uh, having never done a movie before, it, I started off from scratch. How do you break down a script? How do you do that? How do you become another person? How right. do you do that? Sure. And, um, uh, you know, and then there are all the nuances of, of acting, and, um, and those were portrayed to me so clearly. And, and, um, and it was all by conversation. Yep. Yeah. Wow. It was, was fabulous. And then, so by the time uh, we got onto the set, we all knew what we were doing. 
without even rehearsing anything. I mean, it was we would of course rehearse because you you have to do, do where we hit your marks and all that sort of thing. But um, it was just amazing how uh, our characters were so well defined. That's yeah. for sure. That's, That's for what sure. we're talking yeah. about. The build-up is so good. And when you were on the set, what kind of moments do you look back and, and cherish? Um, oh, a lot of the, the funny things. You know, Hitchcock was a great the jokester, <laughs> you know, and, and, of course, he loved dirty limericks, which he would reel off at the most odd times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the, the the crew who had been working with him forever knew all of the 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 jokes, you know. But they everybody laughed anyway. And of course, they were new to me, and some of them were were real eyebrow raising. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> putting it mildly. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned the last forty years. Your passion has been your wildlife preserve, the Shambhala Reserve, where yes. people can go to shambhala.org to make a donation. But tell us what inspired you to start the Shambhala Reserve in the first place. Oh, and thank you for saying that. I'm I'm in fundraising hell all the time because I have to raise <laughs> $75,000 every month, and it's so difficult, I oh, can't wow. tell you. Yeah. But what started it was... Um, I did two films in Africa in uh, um, 1969 and 1970, and during those years, environmentalists all over the world were telling us, people of the world, that if we didn't do something right then to save the animals from encroaching civilization, sport hunting, and poaching, by the year 2000, all of the wild animals would be gone. Wow. Wow. I mean, they were going at such a rapid rate due to the, you know, the, the, the psychopathic big game hunters and um, uh, the poachers, mm. and, um, you know, it, it was a frightening time. So my then-husband and I decided to do a movie, and uh, we chose to use lions uh, in the movie because we had seen a house on the Gorongosa Game Preserve that had been abandoned by a game warden because it flooded during the rainy seasons. He moved out, and a pride of lion moved into that house. Whoa. <laughs> and it grew to be... Oh, it's awesome. It grew to be the, the largest pride in all of Africa. There must have been 25, 30 lions of all sizes living in that house. We couldn't count them because they were in motion, but they were sitting in the windows like great portraits. They were going in and out the doors. They were uh, napping on the verandas. The cubs were playing out in front. It was just... It was just beautiful. Wow. So uh, in using uh, all of those animals uh, together in some scenes, you know, sometimes there were 10, sometimes 5, sometimes 2, sometimes 20, and we passed the script out to the trainers of these Hollywood acting animals, and every one of them came back laughing at us saying, you can't do this movie. Oh, wow. And we said, and why not? And he said, because if instinctual dictates to fight a cat they don't know. I don't want my cat hurt. I don't want to get hurt. Get your own animals to do the movie. So that's how it started. Mm. Well, that in is... In 1972. And still going strong, and we just want to appeal to all of our viewers and all our profilers on Profiles today to please go to shambhala.org and make a donation to Tippi Hedren's Shambhala oh, and, Wildlife and Preserve. know that I am not rich. When I was doing <laughs> uh, uh, the uh, the birds, I made $500 a week, and I got a raise when I got, did Marnie. I got six. 
Wow, that's it. And you know what? It's all gone. Oh, gosh. Well, well, we're yeah. here for you, and we, we so appreciate you taking the time and the generosity to talk with, us, talk with us about The Master of Suspense and your films with Hitchcock. And Tippi Hedren, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank we you. We are so grateful for your time. And maybe we time. can do another show and talk about the real Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's that a whole other show, and I'm sure it we'll get around today. <laughs> it sure yeah. is. Thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much, Tippi. I'd love to do that with you. We love right. that, too. Yeah. Yes, Thank you it. so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, cool. What a classy lady. What a classy lady. A uh, true Hitchcock blonde, Tippy Hedren, the birds. Can you say, I, I'm just really excited that, you know, as a kid, I grew up watching Hitchcock movies. I never thought I'd get to speak to anyone who was in them. And that means, Alicia, you and I were just one degree of separation I know. from Alfred Hitchcock. And today we're celebrating his career, but that would be interesting to get some uh, some real details. Because yes. I know that she had a really tough time on that film and... What a tough lady, as Cary Grant said, and what what a classy, elegant, strong lady. Well, you know who else was a really tough lady? Yes. That'll be Janet Lee in Psycho. Good segue. Which is your <laughs> right, right stuff. stuff. I know. Well, I, I was trying to decide whether it would be the crop duster scene in North by Northwest, which we will talk about, but I couldn't go past the iconic shower scene in Psycho because that has to be one of the most famous scenes in movie history. Absolutely. It's got that sudden attack, the, the vulnerable naked woman. It's the shock death. No one expected Janet Lee to be killed off halfway or not even halfway not through even the movie. Halfway, yeah. <laughs> and then you don't see who does it. You just see this figure with the knife and you can slow it down. I've, I've studied this, um, in film class shot by shot and you can see at one point the knife going slightly into her stomach. But Ooh. apart from that, you never really see it, but it's just the idea of it is so scary. Saul Bass did the storyboard for it. It was 77 different camera setups. It took, a week to shoot and that is just three minutes of screen time chocolate syrup was used for the blood and i love things like the that great drained eye match cut oh that's so great it's so famous now you see it in things like the simpsons and you just see it spoofed so many times but with good reason but that music that oh, music, music almost didn't happen i almost didn't mention that bernard herman just the sun right i mean how do you think of hitchcock at all without thinking of that music i know and hitchcock didn't want to have any music at all during that scene yep. so herman goes away comes up with this composition that he called the murder mm-hmm. comes back plays it for hitchcock it says you know what you're right put it in the scene so and brilliant. the rest is history. And I have to say quickly before we get to your right stuff that I recently went to the Hollywood Bowl and they had the music of Hitchcock and they scored live while they were playing the scenes up on the big screen and yep. to see that shower scene done it, right there in front of you by the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra just blew me away. Just seeing all the strings, no other instruments, just that. Wee, 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 wee. You see the strings going up and down. That must have been so cool. Dun, dun. Okay. Dun, dun. What is your right dun, dun. stuff? My right stuff is the movie we just talked about because I was going to go with Psycho, but I thought, you know, what if Alicia goes for Psycho? <laughs> yeah, you knew I would. <laughs> and I kind of figured you would yeah. because, you know, wavelength here. I am a Psycho. You know, and you've got a shirt to prove it. <laughs> yeah. By the way, very cool shirt that oh, yes. you have on. Big shout out to our friends at sonsofgotham.com. They are profilers. Okay. They knew about our show. They knew about our show. They were huge profilers. And people are always asking us, where do you get your shirts? Where do you get your shirts? Well, we mm. got these. I'm sporting mine, which is from Vertigo, my favorite Hitchcock movie. Mine's we go to... Psycho. 
sonsofgotham.com. They have awesome, awesome shirts, and I'm sure we'll be giving them another shout-out later in the show. Yes. But my right stuff is from the birds. Yeah. Because that scene, an hour and ten minutes into the film, <gasps> when Melanie is sitting outside the church, Melanie played by Tippi Hedren, and the school, and she lights up her cigarette, and the only score in the film, really, are the kids singing inside. And that score sort of serves as the soundtrack to that scene as slowly but surely the the, 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 the bars in the wow. playground flock down. Which and is the that, jungle jam that Tippy has now. Exactly. A of it, yeah. The uh so the the birds are, are coming down and, and you see you see her look up and follow a bird down, and then when she realizes that it's completely covered, she inches herself away, goes into the school. Suzanne Blachette is inside. She opens the back door and she's like, shut the door. We got to get the kids <laughs> out of here. And again, the kids running down. And then down. it's like, just go calmly. And then when I tell you, run. And all hell breaks loose. Those poor kids. But that scene is still terrifying. And this is, you know, we've, we've seen so many horror movies like The Shining and The Exorcist and, and whatever. Uh, and you hate scary movies. I know. But uh, I love Hitchcock. Is that strange? You, that is strange. Wait a minute. Let's analyze this for a second. Okay. You hate horror movies. Yes. Like you would – you and, Suspense, and Maud filmed yourselves watching the trailer for Annabelle. And we freaked out. And you freaked out at a trailer for this crappy movie. <laughs> yet you go ahead and you love Psycho and the Birds. I think it's because of what you said. It's it's the suspense. It's the build up. It's so much more about the characters than the actual murders. Um, and I mean, I know Psycho. That was a slasher film, but you don't see a lot. And I think Hitchcock was so great at what you don't see is scarier than what you do see. So I don't mind someone disturbing me, someone scaring me, but demon doll. No. No. Or like slasher torture porn? No. Well, let's move right into our fast five. Coming in at number four is... I told you, I'm not Kaplan, whoever he is. Oh, that's Roger Thornhill. That's Cary Grant. North by Northwest. What a great film. What a great film. And I think more than any other Hitchcock movie... More than 50 films. This was his most fun. This was a movie that had it all. A lot it of had humor. A lot of humor, action, suspense, intrigue, romance, a smart story. It was a thriller, and <laughs> it was just so fun. Yeah, all the trademarks of a Hitchcock film are right here. You've got the innocent man on the run, played by Cary Grant, the gorgeous blonde, Eva Marie Saint, the MacGuffin, which is Hitchcock's term for a device that it keeps the story going, even though it itself is meaningless and the MacGuffin in this is what Van Damme knows this character that everybody's chasing what he knows what kind of information he has what that microfilm is doesn't matter at all because doesn't it's matter. about secret identity and also romance well like the first time I saw it I was like wait a minute what's going on yeah and then I was like who it cares matter. who cares seeing Cary Grant on the run, impeccable from start to finish, never losing his sense of humor, yeah. never losing his charm, never his wit. Never getting that suit very dirty. Well, he did in the crop a duster scene, and then he got it pressed, and he was ready to go. Well, this uh, movie, North by Northwest, came out on July 28, 1959, so it is the 55th anniversary of North by Northwest. Nominated for three Academy Awards, Art Direction, 
editing and original screenplay. All the great Hitchcock collaborators are on this one. Bernard Herrmann with the amazing score, which is so vibrant yeah. and upbeat and energetic. And then you have, of course, Saul Bass, his uh, fantastic opening credits. It's <laughs> so great. Uh, yeah, great pacing in this. Um, really well shot scenes like uh, the Mount Rushmore chase scene, which oh, yeah. is great to watch, um, plus the crop duster scene. So we talked about this before. So this is seven minutes, no dialogue, incredibly tense. No music either. No music. Hitchcock noticed that other directors, when they were doing some scary scenes, would be in shadowy alleyways. He wanted to do do it in bright sunlight, out in the middle of the open. And the way it plays out is almost like Jaws or almost like a, a monster film in that once they establish that the crop duster plane is after him and wants to kill him, when you hear that sound, you hear the plane going away and then you hear it banking and coming towards, you know he has to run. You know, he just has to run. It's bad news. And the the pacing of that scene, again, studied that in film class, the shot size and the, the amount of time he held each shot for. Ugh, brilliant stuff. And you never see who's in the plane. Never see. It doesn't matter again. It doesn't matter. The faceless enemy. So great. Well, uh, years later when Hitchcock was asked why he wanted to do North by Northwest, his response was he wanted to do something, quote, fun and lighthearted and free of the symbolism that had permeated my earlier films. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot, especially because the movie that preceded that was Vertigo. A lot of symbolism in that movie. (laughs) Yeah, well, Ernest Lehman did the the script and he wanted to make the Hitchcock film to end all Hitchcock films. And that is definitely one of them because I don't think there's really one that could really end them all, although we will we will certainly do that. That crop duster, duster sequence took place in Indiana, but it was actually shot north by northwest of Bakersfield, California. Uh-huh. And it was on the set that Cary Grant and Alfred Hitchcock sent Eva Marie Saint a telegram. And we'll find out a little bit about that momentarily, what that telegram consisted of. But it was also on the set that Eva Marie St. noticed that whenever a fan came up to ask Cary Grant for an autograph, which was a lot, yep. he would charge 15 cents. <laughs> Entrepreneur, that Entrepreneur, guy. Entrepreneur, you got to love it. This was Cary's fourth and final Hitchcock film. He apparently was so confused by the script. Halfway through, he said to Hitchcock, I can't make heads or tails of it. Hitchcock said, that's perfect for this role. Well, well, we're going to ask our, our our guest right now all about the making of North by Northwest because Profiles is proud to have on the show with us Eva Marie Saint. Eva Marie Saint, thank you so much for joining. You're on the line with Scott and Alicia. Well, hello, Scott and Alicia and all the rest of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. I recently saw you at the Hollywood Bowl for the Hitchcock Music. and Oh, it, you did? You were I so wonderful. I had such a good time. That was a beautiful audience. Oh, it was It was one of the greatest moments of my life, being a huge Hitchcock fan. And just oh. re-watching North by Northwest, I mean, it's the 55th anniversary this year. It's still one of the greatest movies ever made. Where oh. do you see it in terms of other Hitchcock movies? Why do you think it stands out? Well... I think uh, Ernest Lehman, who wrote the script, I think it's such an interesting um, script. You know, I, listen, I still don't know where North by Northwest is. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's kind of complicated, but it has an interesting script. It has, um, it's a sexy story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beautifully done. It's beautifully photographed. And and, and the the color is gorgeous. I've seen it on the big big screen well like at the bowl yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Hitchcock just had this feeling 
you know, about music, speaking of music, and and he just felt that it uh, it was an alternate language that could express his characters, unconscious longing and tell stories. I'm reading this that pictures could, <laughs> could alone could not. Well, I'm, I'm look. I was reviewing what I said that night. Yeah, and and that's true. I mean, and I I hear music from Psycho if I'm driving and <laughs> I get. You know, it just spooks me out. It spooks us out, too. (laughs) Well, this movie came out five years after your Oscar-winning performance in On the Waterfront, which what a a five-year run that was. Uh, How did you come to be cast as Eve, and and what was it about – what did Alfred Hitchcock see looking back and and the perspective? What do you think he saw in you that he wanted to, quote, get you out from behind the kitchen sink? I don't know. You (laughs) tell me. I've never figured it out because I did Hatful of Rain uh, before, and that was the sink to sink that he thought I shouldn't do any more of. And, of course, I said, I can't promise you that. I love those stories. (laughs) Uh, But it may be uh, that certain feeling with Bob Hope where I wore Edith had beautiful clothes and Mm -hmm. my hair up. Uh, I made that with Bob Hope. You know, that certain feeling, the first we sang and we danced. I don't think many people saw that film, but I had such a good time. Now, he, I, that's, that's my theory that maybe he saw me all dressed up. Okay. What would you say working with Marlon Brando and Elia Kazan on All the Waterfront, on the Waterfront, prepared you for Cary Grant and Alfred Hitchcock? No. <laughs> it was very different. It was completely different. The, the Catholic girl from the waterfront to the six sexy spy lady. Listen, working and uh, working with someone like Kazan, who directed me to, on the waterfront, and and Alfred Hitcher, completely different. And yet both, I think, are geniuses. Mm. I, re- I really feel that. And I was privileged to work with uh, both of them. Very, very different. I'm from the actor studio and Kazan was there, et cetera. So was Marlon. So was uh, Carl Malden and, and that, probably the whole cast. Most of the people were from on the, were from the uh, actor studio. And then to go to North, by Northwest where there was no rehearsal. And I remember I'm married to a director and he would, he always says, now just find something. Find something about your leading man that you can like. Well, <laughs> I always do. I mean, it's either the voice or, or the face mm, or whatever. And <laughs> when I came home from my first day with Cary Grant, he said, okay, honey, now, what about Cary Grant? I said, the whole man. <laughs> I There's love nothing Cary. that's not beautiful about him starting from the man himself. He wow. was a very giving, I sound like Pollyanna, but it's true, I've had some wonderful leading men, but he was very special, and he, he would say things like, I, who is Cary Grant? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Sounds pretty humble. <laughs> yeah, and I felt like say, well, let, me, let me tell you, just let me, let's start at the feet and go up, or the head and go down. <laughs> well, Hitchcock is a director. How... How hands-on was he with with telling you what he wanted out of a performance, and what made him more hands-on with your physical appearance? Or what what lengths did he go through to make sure that he what that that Eve Kendall looked like the way he wanted her to look? Well, I, I he he didn't work like Kazan, just the opposite. He never talked about feelings. He never talked about the life within the the spy lady. He didn't talk about that, but. 
he dressed me in such a way and he had he was so specific about everything from my hair to my makeup to the jewelry to the gloves to the hat to the coat to the dress to the skirt everything to the makeup everything about Eve Kendall and when when he gave me these things that he wanted me how he wanted me to look then I began to realize what kind of lady this lady was this com- complicated lady so it was really working backwards for me as an actress but I, I really love playing her. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Eve is my favorite of the Hitchcock blondes because she's really? so sassy. That train scene oh, where she's great. really, she makes the moves. Yeah. I love that. How much fun were scenes How like that? How much fun was that? Yeah. Just so, but you know what I realized the other day? I'm smoking in that scene, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, I you would are. never do that in a movie as long as I live again. No. Ever. I, 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 I shudder to think maybe some, how many young people, young women were, you know, they, they saw that and I thought, oh, that's the way to get a guy. Yeah. But she I was mean, good it, with it her was words, really bad too. Because I, I did not smoke anywhere else in the film. Nowhere. So, as a method actress, I should have said to Hitch, now wait a minute, if I'm going to smoke, I better smoke somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but when they were filming, when uh, Hitchcock and Cary Grant were filming the, the crop dusting scene, mm-hmm. what did they send you? They sent you something that I believe you still have. A box of dust. No, <laughs> no th- I do have it, and I, I sort of scrounge around. The Academy may have it. I, I have so many of my things, but something like thinking of you glad you would be glad not being here because it was so difficult and i remember thinking oh god they're going out there at bakersfield mm, and here i am not going oh, after i read the telegram i was very happy <laughs> <laughs> and i'm sure after you saw that scene as well what was it like the first time you saw north by northwest on a big screen i i was I was really thrilled. I, it, it's so strange, really, to see yourself. Uh, you, you never, I don't think you ever get used to it. But she was so different from, I'm just a pushover, and she's such a, such a sexy spy lady. Yeah. <laughs> but at the very end, at the very end, you know, you see things when you see the movie together it's, that you've never seen, because I didn't go to rushes, and all of a sudden, the very end, that sexy scene, I see that he pulls me up on, 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 in, in the bed on the train, and then you see the train go through the tunnel, and I whispered to my husband, I said, oh, my God, are you this kind of Freudian? <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, and yeah, he, it is. And he said, you got it, honey, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because they, they cut from I was, Wow, look yeah, at that. Cut I from the it. bed to the train going through the tunnel. Woo! Well, that's, that's such yeah. a great scene because you're, you and, you and Carrie Green are hanging from Mount Rushmore, and then it co- it's, it's cut right <laughs> to the train, which is such a great cut anyway. But it made me think that, that North by Northwest, do you see it more as a spy thriller? Or as a screwball comedy, because it's kind of both. Do you know it? Yes, I think it's. I think it's a, a combination, isn't it? It's it's a it's a thriller, and and the music, oh, and the music and the dialogue and and, and Mount Rushmore. I was when I was a, my mother always felt my mother and father see America first, and so we would we never had a chance to go to Europe uh, until I was working and so forth, but. We would go all over America. We went to see Mount Rushmore. And when I saw it, I was so excited. And for some reason, I scratched my initials in a tree, carved them. 
I don't know where I got the pen knife, but anyway, I did. And I remember my father sitting me down right there and saying, you should never, ever, ever do that to a tree <laughs> or anything. <laughs> and, you know, then later when I when I arrived there with Cary Grant, because we only shot a couple of days there or maybe just one day and one night or stayed one night, and I remember thinking, oh, it's a little girl carving that. I never thought that someday I'd be climbing it. No, yeah. I didn't really climb it. It's amazing. But life is funny that way. Well, well, this is a really a life moment for me and Alicia because we are huge movie geeks, yes. big Hitchcock fans, and we just love North by Northwest so much. And Eva Marie Saint, thank you so much thank you. for taking the time to share your memories of the movie and Alfred Hitchcock and Cary Grant with us on Profiles. Well, I had a good time, too. It's always good to remember happy experiences. And nice meeting you, too. Nice meeting you, too. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Film geeks. Once again, <laughs> one degree of separation from the master of suspense, Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. We just spoke Whoa. to two Hitchcock blondes. Two Hitchcock blondes. Maybe we'll be able to do another. Maybe we'll know. be up for another. I don't Who knows? Know. Profiles. Should I don't we know, quickly Alicia? read out a North by Northwest and then and then we might skip ahead to uh, Vertigo? Maybe. Well, why don't we why don't we read Number one of three. our profilers? Okay. From North um, by Northwest. Daniel Epler says, Cary Grant again shows us he's one of the smoothest, most easily likable leading men that has ever been in cinema. Even when playing against type as a selfish coward like in this film, his character <laughs> arch, arc is perfectly constructed by the master of suspense himself in a brilliantly funny, intense and perfectly entertaining masterpiece A+. Go for it, Daniel Epler. And Mark Tordai says, the pioneer of mistaken identity thrillers, Cary Grant gives one of his best and most pro prolific performances and my best Cary Grant impression my name's not George Caput it's Richard Richard Thornhill (laughs) what's not to love North by Northwest is intense still holds up today Mm -hmm. Martin Landau a very young Martin Landau what gives an amazing performance as the villain and that that crop duster scene wow one of my favorite Hitchcock films for sure one of our favorites and my favorite my personal favorite Hitchcock movie coming in at number Skipping three. Forward, sorry, in in our in our fast five. Yes, Jate is on the ball. Big shout out to Jate. You rock, brother. What's number three in Fast Five? And if you lose me, then you'll know I I loved you and I wanted to go on loving you. Oh, oh. oh. Vertigo! Vertigo! I love this movie more than life itself. <laughs> Released on May fi- May 9th, 1958. This is my personal favorite Hitchcock movie. This is one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. This was the first Hitchcock movie I saw on the big screen. Mm. Completely restored. And what it is about this movie is just the descent into obsession. Mm. Because Jimmy Stewart, working with Hitchcock for the fourth and final time, just... Starts off sort of a quintessential Jimmy Stewart type of character. The everyman. The everyman, the Tom Detective. Hanks of his day. Yeah, so Tom Hanks. Right, so Tom Hanks of his day. But And, and George Clooney's Cary Grant. And George Clooney yeah, is the Cary Grant. Yes, yeah. that is a great theory. <laughs> Fully agree. But just the descent into, into madness, the obsession that just completely consumes him. Again, another film that starts off one way, turns into something else. A movie that was not well-received by critics or moviegoers at the time it came out in 1958. And now... And now, 50 years later, at least on uh, on uh, in 2012, the British magazine Sight and Sound, Vertigo, Dethroned, 
five-decade champion Citizen Kane from the top Amazing. of that list as the greatest film of all and time. And still is number one on their 2014 list. It is still number one. And what is it about this film that you love? I love how you think it's going to be a, a murder mystery or a mystery, maybe even a supernatural mystery. You're not yep. sure why she's become so obsessed with that. Uh, and she goes to the paintings and she sits there. It's very mysterious. Then it twists and it twists again and it twists again. You never know where it's going to end up. And I like that it is a very uh, meta movie about obsession because that was something that people spoke a lot about with Hitchcock was that how he liked to mold his leading ladies into these Hitchcock blondes. And that's exactly what Jimmy Stewart's character does towards the end of the film. That is why people refer to Vertigo as Hitchcock's most personal movie. Yes. But I don't think people really saw it at the time, despite the fact that Hitchcock was once again working with his great collaborators, Saul Bass, the opening credits that vortex that you see oh, yeah. just swirling around that i love the the parts in the movie where it gets quite surreal oh, where it's dream. jimmy stewart's head going yeah. around and then and also how the uh, perspective when he looks down the stairs that changes it distorts it was really special effects for their for their day it looked really good and kim novak was so amazing at playing these dual roles well the, also bernard herman's score i know we talked about how unforgettable his score was for psycho yeah uh, and, and how, how vibrant his score was for north by northwest but this is a score that continues to haunt me to the extent that it always stays with me. It is always in my mind. No matter where I go, I'm out and about, and I, I continue to hear that score in my head. And one thing that I also see is the the obsession and how how Hitchcock saw this movie as a as a fetish that degrades women and deranges men. Well, that's what he thought of love, wasn't it? That is what he thought of love. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and vertigo, you know, fear of heights and falling, but also falling in love. Well, another common theme in this movie, and it, it's something that took me decades, or well, at least a couple decades to realize, is the use of the color green. Mm. Green is very, very prominent in this movie, whether it's the, the dresses that uh, Madeline wears and speaking of Madeline, a.k.a. Judy Profiles, is very, very excited to have joining us on the line right now. Please welcome Kim Novak. You are on Profiles with Scott and Alicia. Welcome. Well, it's nice to join you. Thank you so much. It's so nice to talk to you. We've been speaking about Vertigo and how it, it was voted the number one movie of all time by Sight and Sound magazine, dethroning Citizen Kane. Why do you think it's become such a classic now? Well, actually, you know, I, I think it's because because it was it was always done in a... Well, actually, I want to say in a style, but it was because it was not done in a style. Mm. It was not made as a trendy stylized movie it it'll always be relevant i think because it's because it was made in a in a classic style you know it's not it was never made in a trendy way well how did you come to be cast as madeline aka judy in vertigo how did this first come about for you well you know i didn't know it at the time but actually it's because vera miles who was supposed to be playing the part, was having a baby. But I didn't know that at the time. Uh, I was, you know, under contract at Columbia Pictures, and I was just told this, that Alfred Hitchcock wanted me. 
And so that's all I knew. But actually, <laughs> she was having a baby, and so that worked out great for me. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty damn good. What was yep, your? Yep. How would you describe your relationship with Alfred Hitchcock? Um, well, you know, we got along great because uh, he set up the rules right off the bat. But what I liked about him was that he listened. Uh, some directors won't do that. Now, mind you, it doesn't mean that he gave me my way, but he was willing to listen to my point of view. Mm-hmm. And after he listened to it, he said, no, my dear, you're not going to do it that way. I want <laughs> you to wear this, that, and the other. And so, but I liked and I respected the fact that he heard me out and weighed what I had to say. Now, mind you, he never, he, he, he always allowed me my point of view in my interpretation of the character. He never interrupted in that, but he was very, very disciplined as far as what he wanted and expected you to wear, how he wanted the timing. He was very, very strict about things like that, but he never interfered with your interpretation. I mean, what more could an actor want? Mm. Very true. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say Vertigo is often referred to as Hitchcock's most personal film. At the time, was it seen that way? No, I don't. Well, of course, you know, I think it takes time to evaluate something. Mm. And it's always in looking back that you can see something in that way. And, of course, at the time, no, no, it wasn't thought of that way. What was it like when you were filming the movie? And the kind of direction that Hitchcock gave you was it was a particular direction, or did he did he just sort of give you more physical direction in terms of what he wanted you to look like, but you had more freedom to create the character of Madeline? Well, that's it. I mean, he did allow you the freedom. That's what I loved about him. Uh, very few directors did. I mean, I think actually the really great directors do because. You know, you have your point of view when you read a script. You, you, you internalize it and you, you make it your own. And so the more that you can feel at one with it, the more it's going to be real. And that's what he did. Uh, he, he allowed that. I, I hardly ever saw the man on the set because he always watched you from behind the camera. All you could see was his feet and his shoes. <laughs> and there he was behind, always looking at you through the lens. So I rarely looked at him through the eyes. And he never wanted to discuss the script, but he was always talking about the timing, where you stood, what you wore. That's what mattered to him. And you also got to work with the wonderful James Stewart. This was his fourth film with Hitchcock. What did you observe about their relationship? They had a great, he had great respect. They both did. They respected each other. And again, they knew what was whose territory. They knew, I mean, he, and that's why Jimmy Stewart and I became great buddies because I kept going over, what does he want? How does he want me to play this? Said, Look, he hired you. He wants your interpretation. So he made me feel comfortable. He made me understand the rules that he said he'll tell you exactly what he wants as far as where to stand, where to go. But he wants your interpretation. And so, you know, Jimmy Stewart knew the rules that he worked with. He worked with him so many times. And uh, he understood. He understood. And they had a great respect for each other. Wow. Well, you know, when Vertigo first came out in 1958, it got very mixed reviews. It wasn't uh, the big hit that, that people sort of expected from Hitchcock, but it was reevaluated over the years. Suddenly became like what we were talking about, one of the greatest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. And uh, why do you think 
they all missed the boat the first time around. And when did you start to see them come around and be like, welcome to the party? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think the movie was ahead of its time. I think Alfred Hitchcock was ahead of his time. Mm. I don't think he was that appreciated at that, at that moment in time. And the audience finally caught on. And I think it was directed and acted in a classic style. It was not done with any kind of gimmicks or it was, it was, and so now people can accept it, they understand it, and the more you see that movie, the more you understand about it. And uh, yeah, it was ahead of its time. Yeah, well, we I certainly agree. agree. Definitely <laughs> agree. Is Vertigo something you revisit? Do you ever rewatch it yourself? Oh yeah, I, I I watch it, and the funny thing is, I see something different in it all the time, yeah. Yeah. and I find that I there there are things that surprise me in it that I I don't know if I forgot them or do I see them from a different point of view. But that's the the gem about Alfred Hitchcock. He he brings things out, and I've got to tell you something about him. Some of the times I would say to him, you know, I don't quite understand something here. This doesn't quite make sense, and he said. That's what a mystery is supposed to be, my dear. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't always have. There shouldn't always be a perfect answer in a mystery. You know, and you should always, for every answer, there should be another question. And that's that's what he had. That's that was Albert Hitchcock. Well, you just gave us the chills in a very big way, very fitting. And one last question before we let you go is: among the other Hitchcock movies, what are some of your favorites? Mm, well, actually, I love a very old one of his, uh, Rebecca. Mm. I thought that Joan Fontaine was fantastic, and I loved the mystery of it. And Psycho, who could not love yes. Psycho? Of course, exactly. That, that, was a, that was a wonderful thriller, a little scary for me. <laughs> I still can't take a shower without looking <laughs> over my shoulder. Well, me too. <laughs> we are... We are <laughs> So, so honored. Thank you so much for taking the time Thank to join so us much. on Profiles. You're welcome. I enjoy talking about them. my favorite subject. Well, that's uh, our favorite subject, too. So it. you have a great day, Kim Novak. Thank you so, so much. Uh, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Good talking to you. So Bye. long. <laughs> Three Hitchcock Three Hitchcock vlogs in one show. Oh, my God. Oh my it's gosh. so crazy because, I mean, I know we do film junkets all the time so every weekend I'm talking to Matthew McConaughey or Anne Hathaway or whatever yeah, but sure. <laughs> you don't expect to talk to someone about Hitchcock and th- sharing three, memories three, three of the Hitchcock I couldn't believe lots. it when you because so Scott kept messaging me the first one he was like guess what he's sitting down he's sitting down we got even Ray Slate and I was like oh my god and then you sent me another one guess what we got, we got another one we got Timmy Hedren what and, and then, then I'm this like, morning one more like wait one more Kim Novak's like what, what? it's going to be the best Hitchcock show ever ones. Woo. Okay, so we skipped over a few things to well, get I thought, to let's it. Let's back up. First of all, I think we should – let's do this. Okay. Let's read what our profilers yes. have to say about Vertigo. Okay. And one of my favorite profilers, Liam Logrand, who is a huge Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. Way to go, Liam. Yes. He's my buddy. Vertigo is my all-time favorite Alfred Hitchcock film and in my top five of all time. Of course it is, Liam. I agree. Uh, Jimmy Stewart gives his best performance as John Scotty Ferguson. And throughout the film, the audience sees his descent into madness and obsession right on. The cinematography is excellent. Captures the fear of heights and those zoom-out shots are iconic moments in movie history. The film also has one of my all-time favorite plot twists. So unexpected, completely took 
me off guard. Well, Dan Skip Allen, who's another great profiler, says, I think Vertigo is so great. It has such a mystery about it. Jimmy Stewart doesn't know up from down or wrong from right in this Hitchcock classic. (laughs) And Hitchcock keeps us guessing along with Stewart the entire time. The mystery is why I love this movie so much. That's what Kim said. It's clearly the best movie of his career, says Dan. And this could be the best profilers of our career, which is why we just want to take a break right now to tell you if you are watching (sighs) Profiles, make sure you subscribe to Profiles. This is why we get the good guests. This is why we get the great guests, and we want to keep coming back week after week. So please do go to iTunes and subscribe to Profiles. Rate and review us. Mm -hmm. Cannot even begin to tell you how important it is for you to rate and review us on iTunes. Or if you prefer to look at us, because we are quite beautiful, um, go to (laughs) youtube.com slash schmoesno podcast and subscribe to that channel as well to get all the great shows from the network and to keep seeing who we get every every week. We feel like we're topping ourselves. And we are going to keep topping ourselves because this was a this is a landmark episode of Profiles. Ugh. And it's also an episode that all of our profiler friends have chimed in on Facebook, on our Facebook page, which you have to go to mm-hmm. at prof- it's Profiles with Malona Mance on the Schmozno Network. Give it a like. You can give it a big fat like because we <laughs> love that. And you can also make sure to join in on all the fun when we go through and try to pick out which movies you like the best. Yes, this is where we get all our comments from. Okay, so should we go back to the last detail? Because Let's go back to the details. last detail because there are a lot of great details. Okay you with uh, some Hitchcock trivia. Please do. Did you know that Hitchcock never sat in the audience when his films played? Why is that? Ever. I, he didn't like it. He would stand outside and he would like to hear the screams. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> well, man, oh man, you would think that he would want to sit in on it. Well, did you know that Rear Window was the your fave? Your fave. I looked for a t-shirt for you. I couldn't find one. That's right. But it's okay. You got the next best thing. Yep. Psycho. Yep. Uh, Rear Window was the only time Grace Kelly ever smoked in one of her films. Oh, She refused, but in this case, she made an exception. Well, did you know that Hitchcock tried to buy every copy of Psycho, the book, from all the bookstores he could because he didn't want anyone to know the ending? That's only so Hitch Hitchcock. could do that. <laughs> only Hitch could do that. Well, did you know that Rope, which was the Birdman of its day. Yes, one it was shot. One shot. 80 minutes minutes long Mm -hmm. but uh, in rope nobody wanted to be the one to ruin a take so when a camera dolly ran over a man's foot and broke it rather than start screaming the other crew members dragged him out dragged him out gagged him so they wouldn't he wouldn't scream just so they it would not disturb because they did 10 minute takes for that movie so if you if you ruined it you'd be in in trouble do you want to be the one to ruin a take for Alfred I don't think so oh (laughs) did you know that his Oscar speech when he got the Irving Thalberg award was just five words long what were they thank you very much indeed uh, he got the indeed in there. Short to the point. Short to the point. Well, one last, one last. Speaking of rope, Jimmy Stewart, James mm-hmm. Stewart. It was his first Hitchcock movie. Did not like rope. He thought he was miscast. Mm, I, I beg to differ. I disagree. Okay, one more for you. Give it. Did you know Alfred Hitchcock would have uh, cups of tea on set, tea and saucer? <laughs> Apparently, every once in a while, he would just after he finished his tea, he would just chuck it over his shoulder. <laughs> Someone else would clean it up. I like I like the idea of because he always wore a suit to, to the set as well. So I like the idea of him in a suit sipping tea with a cup and saucer, chucking it over his shoulder, and then someone just like quietly brooming it up like. It doesn't matter. It's Hitchcock. Can you imagine like another crew member hearing it and just going, oh, out, Mr. Hitchcock must have yeah, had his tea. Yeah, yeah go clean tea. it up. Go clean it up. Well, now it's time to talk about the favorite posters of Alfred Hitchcock. So, by the way, of all the 
big pictures we have done so far on profiles. This was the hardest one. To choose just. To choose just three. We actually did four, four this time. Yeah. But there are so many great posters, so many great one sheets. They just don't make them like they used to. Mm-hmm. And Hitchcock movies are the perfect example. So JTE, let's run the big, big picture. The poster for 1954's Rear Window captures everything that the movie's about. Suspense, mystery, and even sexuality. And the blue typeface blends beautifully with the red brick building. Contrasting colors of blue, red, and yellow capture the eyes for 1960's Psycho. The men are colored in red, a common indication of danger, while the border around Janet Lee comes to a sharp edge, a symbol of the knife that would soon lead to her shocking demise. Bill Gold, who designed the one-sheets for classics like Casablanca and A Clockwork Orange, created this amazing poster for 1954's Dial M for Murder. No need to plaster the faces of film stars Ray Milland and Grace Kelly, since the colors and typography of this potent image of the woman in distress and the hanging receiver were raw, violent, and suspenseful enough. And then there's 1958's Vertigo, designed by the legendary Saul Bass. Both minimal and stylized, this iconic image shows James Stewart and Kim Novak spiraling down a vortex that captures the feelings of anxiety and desperation that made this masterpiece so unforgettable. Wow, I love that music. <laughs> I love music. that music. That's the music. It's the music that haunts you. That is the music that I I I. I because I just rewatched it over the weekend. Yep. I, I for the last few days I hear dun, 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 and then the dun, yeah. dun, all with it. Brilliant. So great. I love it. Well, for our player this week, we thought we would talk about the Hitchcock Blondes. I can't believe we just spoke to three of them. And we just talked to three of them. It's amazing. So Hitchcock loved blondes because he said that audiences are more suspicious of a brunette or redhead than a blonde, and he also liked the paradox of a woman with an icy exterior and then a really fiery interior so let's talk about grace kelly grace kelly the hitchcock blonde to end all hitchcock so blondes. elegant beautiful beautiful made three movies with hitchcock dial m for murder rear window to catch a thief all came out within like a two-year period mm-hmm. by the way but this uh these were all great great films and i just i know we're going to talk more about rear window but what an entrance. Oh, what an entrance she had. What and an she has such great charm as well, which I, I love. Uh, Tippy Hedren. Tippy Hedren, yes. To made two the movies. Birds and Marnie. She's the last of the classic Hitchcock leading ladies because The Birds was the last of the classic the great, great Hitchcock, Hitchcock, Hitchcock movies. movies. Well, Ingrid Bergman, who won three Academy Awards in her career, makes her probably the most famous of the Hitchcock Bonds. Uh, she was the cooler and more mysterious of the Hitchcock Bonds. She yeah. made three movies with Hitch, Spellbound, Notorious, and Under Capricorn. Such an incredible actress. Amazing. Kim Novak, who we also spoke to from Vertigo, aloof and so, so sexy. And then Eva Marie Saint, we also talked to North by Northwest. As I said to her on the phone, I love Eve Kendall because she is sassy. I love that train scene where she puts the moves on him and you don't really know what her intentions are, but so great. she makes the move. She Go was girl. a strong character, by the way. Yeah. At a time when there Capable. weren't a lot of strong female characters mm-hmm. in, in movies, let alone Hitchcock movies. And then there's Janet Lee, who made just one, or almost half of one, but what a half of one she made. Yes. I mean, just that, that iconic scene, her time on the screen, one of the just greatest moments in movie history, bar none. And a great character, too, because she's she's conflicted, she does, she's following her heart but then she's stolen this money and she feels bad about it and then out of the blue 
Anthony Perkins. Uh, there you go. Bates Motel. Also, oh. Joan Fontaine from Suspicion. Madeline Carroll from 39 oh, yes. Steps and Secret Agent. So many great Hitchcock ones. And we talked to three of them. Did we mention that? I can't, can't believe it. Is this, is this a dream? This is know. really happening. This, this is, is really our life. Happening. This is our ah. life. Ah. So the good, the bad, the ugly this week, we thought we would talk about maybe some of the other Hitchcock films that are worth seeing that aren't on our Fast Five because there are so many Hitchcock movies. He made over 50 films, like we said. So there are a couple of gems that maybe you don't know about. Like which one for you? To Catch a Thief. To Catch for me, a Thief. which I've written this down, Scott. It's 1955. Well, look at you. I don't know the exact date. <laughs> but this movie is so glamorous. If I could live inside any movie, I would want to live inside To Catch a Thief. Cary Grant plays a jewel snatcher who's trying to be clean, but then uh, there's a jewel robbery and everyone suspects him. And then you've got the gorgeous Grace Kelly and it's all set in the French Riviera. I love Strangers on a Train. Black and white classic from 1951. Farley Ranger Robert Walker. Talk about a movie that starts off pretty darn intense as it is Mm -hmm. and tightens the screws on the intensity as this train chugs along. Blackmail being trapped by a person you just cannot shake. It was a device that's been used many, many, many times over the years, but never better than Strangers on a Train. And Rope, 1948, which we've mentioned already. Jimmy Stewart, about these two college buddies who commit murder, and then they hold a party with the guy <laughs> in the box. I just rewatched this last night. It is dark. It is funny. And as we said, it is one, made to look like one long take. It all takes place in this one room. Well, I love back-to-back Ingrid Bergman movies. Spellbound from 1945 and Notorious from 1946. 1945, Spellbound. Uh, she co-starred with a really, really young Gregory Peck playing a psychiatrist, falls for her amnesic patient. But as the movie progresses, it's the music scored by Miklos Roja that is very, it's very spacey. It's the kind of music you would actually see or hear rather in a B-movie sci-fi movie, but it fits perfectly with Notorious and uh, with Spellbound rather. Yeah. And it's Notorious. It's the chemistry between Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. Oh, yes. This is, this, is, this is an espionage thriller, but one that is full of so much romance. Well, we should mention the brackets that have been going on on our Facebook page, Profiles with Melody Mance and the Schmerzner Network. Long title, but worth going to visit. <laughs> they had all these, uh, they pitted two Alfred Hitchcock movies against each other, and they had all these battles. So the semifinals was Rear Window versus Rope. Then there was Psycho versus Strangers on a Train. The championship was between Psycho and Rear Window. The winner... Rear window. Rear window over Psycho. Yeah, rear window. How happy are you right now? I am very happy, and thanks to Steve Zissou. Steve Zissou. His his life aquatic. Steve Zissou, one of our favorite profilers. Steve Zissou rocks. And some other profilers had some films that they love, uh, Hitchcock movies that aren't in our Fast Five. Andrew, (laughs) Andrew, I'm just so excited. I can't speak. (laughs) Andrew Cabral says about Notorious, there is so much wealth to be found. The deeper you venture into Hitchcock's filmography, I love Notorious. You have two iconic actors playing opposite one another in Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant. It's an espionage film with a romantic backbone. The camera work is phenomenal. Beautiful black and white cinematography, utilizing dolly and crane shots, phenomenal acting between the leads. So much is said through just looks and body language than is said through words. Well, our good friend Dan Skip Allen had this to say about one of my favorite strangers on a train. It's amazing. It's so creepy. You don't know how meeting one stranger can affect you so much, especially when he just won't leave you alone. This is a Hitchcock 
Hitchcock classic, You Can't Trust Strangers. Mm. And we also have to give a big shout out to Nikolai Quack from Germany. Yes. Our good friend Nikolai, who loves Rear Window. Yes, I'll read this one. Please do. I love Rear Window. <laughs> it has one of the best premises of ev- any thriller ever made. A stellar cast with James Stewart and Grace Kelly being perfect in the lead roles. The masterfully written script brings all the characters, no matter how small their roles are, to life wonderfully and creates a great suspenseful world. I found it hard to breathe, me too, throughout most <laughs> of the movie. And when I did find the time, I was simply delighted by the great acting and the climax is still one of my favorite scenes of all time. Greetings from Munich in Germany. Yay. Guten Tag. Take it one more. The Trouble with Harry. Yes. By uh, This is coming from Richard Frost, my top of the list underrated Hitchcock film, a black comedy about the numerous comedic attempts to dispose of a body, a film which gave Alfred Hitchcock the opportunity to film in New England during the fall, which is something he had always wanted, which is understandable because the film is a beautiful looking one. That's one I have to revisit. But now let's go to Fast Five number Number two, two, which is... One of you keep an eye on this window. If I see him coming back, I'll signal with a flash bomb. This rear is window. window. Rear Window, your number one My fave. My number one fave. Why is Rear Window your number one fave? A couple of reasons. Firstly, it's incredibly efficient storytelling. It all takes place within one room. and it, But it feels bigger because you see into other people's apartments, but you never really leave that room. Jimmy Stewart, perfectly cast. He again is <laughs> the everyman. You just love Grace Kelly. is so elegant and beautiful. But I like what it says about voyeurism. You know, the camera itself is very voyeuristic, and that is a theme that runs through many of Alfred Hitchcock films. And it also makes you think of, as an audience, watching the movie, how you are also a voyeur into someone else's life and how, like Jimmy Stewart's character, you're seeing things and you're trying to piece things together in your own way. Um, I like that the viewer becomes the participant, which is the same with Jimmy Stewart's character too. And there's so much suspense. There's so much comedy and romance. And what you think of everything you see, including the characters, is not what they seem. Like Grace Kelly's character, when you meet her, you think, okay, she's a model. She probably would cry if she broke a nail. And then she's doing all these daring things. She gets into it. She gets into it. And she she loves it. She gets into it so much. She loves it. And there's that quick shot of of James Stewart looking back at her like like he's so... When she came back from giving the note. From giving the note. He was like proud of her. He's like, oh, I like this right now. She has some gumption. Right, right. And then you've got the ballerina, the gorgeous girl that goes for a guy you don't expect and then of course the the guy who commits the murder the very uh, average looking neighbor of course we got to give a shout out to miss lonely hearts yeah poor miss, miss lonely, lonely hearts Heart. oh she was wearing green and the poor dog the poor dog what is <laughs> poor dog <laughs> but this this was a, a an incredible movie to shoot because it was a shot entirely on the paramount studios lot the apartment courtyard scene was 98 feet wide 185 feet long 40 feet high consisted of 31 apartments eight of which were fully furnished yeah they cut out the studio floor so they could go from the basement right up to the lighting grid can you imagine going on that set oh what i would give to go back that would be amazing and i like how this movie is very visual you're not spoon-fed things like if you take the opening scene with jimmy stewart straight away you know exactly who he is what he does for a job right no words are spoken photographer for a magazine no words are spoken very clever also clever or i should say just scary is the end when raymond goes to his place no music again the the build up to that scene 
Stewart shuts out the light and mm-hmm. he can't really move because you're because questioning everything up to that point. You're like, did he do it or did he not? We and then the light underneath anything. the door, you see it go out, right? And then the door opens and he walks in. He goes, what do you want from me? And then the flash. The, the flash flashes. Bulbs. The flashes. Yeah. It's a, what is up with hanging? Like oh, in, yeah. in rear window, in vertigo. North by Northwest. Everybody's hanging from something. And I'm scared of heights. So that terrifies me. You have a... You're scared of heights. I'm really scared of heights. I did not know that. I don't want to fall. And and here you are. That's we're really talking scary. about vertigo. And yeah. Wow. Okay. This is really, really cool. No, it's very claustrophobic film, Rear Window. But I just wanted to say it's again. Like it feels great. I mean, I mean, Grace Kelly. Mm. Like, what an entrance because it's it's the way that, that she's, she's framed. She is, there's this like soft focus shot. And then when she leans in to kiss Jimmy Stewart, it's that slow motion. And you just go. Seems like a dream. Wow. It just feels Seems like, like a, a dream. dream. And when you're watching the film, it makes you question, like, why can't you look away from murder? You know, you're watching this on the screen. Jimmy's watching this from his chair. It's so much to this movie, and that's why I love it. And Tyler Myers. Tyler Myers. A great profiler. Also loves Rear Window. He says, because it takes a simple premise of a man looking at neighbors and turns it into a complex and suspenseful tale of voyeurism and claustrophobia. James Stewart is stellar in the lead role, and Grace Kelly is just as brilliant and intelligent as the traditional Hitchcock blonde. The writing and directing both work side by side flawlessly and keep the audience guessing what is real and what is fake, all leading up to a nail-biting conclusion that doesn't need to rely on big budget effects, but works because of the characters and the masterful direction by the masterful director. Way to go, Tyler. Well said, well said. Oki Brown says, Rear Window may be my favorite Hitchcock movie. The claustrophobic, again, there's that word again, feeling of the movie is unsettling and it creates such tension enhanced by brilliant performances from Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart, two of my favorite actors who have such great chemistry yeah, in this they movie. Do. They do. Uh, clearly, Mr. Hitchcock's direction is superb. Okay, that was our number two, so I think you can guess what our number, number one, one will what could be. Number one will be. We all go a little mad sometimes. Uh, we all do. Psycho! Psycho! Psycho. <laughs> I love that you were wearing a shirt that says Psycho. Yeah. Talk about symbolism. That's right. Symbolism. <laughs> By the way, again, big shout out to sonsofgotham.com for Thank these very, so very cool Hitchcock so nice t-shirts. Super, super nice of these guys to hustle and yeah. get us these shirts so we can make our show. Psycho, 1960. 1960. It seems pretty tame now if you watch it for the first time. Although uh, it's no, it still doesn't. really scary. <laughs> it's scary. But it was very <laughs> controversial for its time. Well, it was black and white and they chose to go Hitchcock wanted to do it in black and white he was worried that the film would be too gory in color he also wanted to make it cheaper the cost a little more than $800,000 to make back between November of 1959 and February of 1960 not a lot of money even back then yeah, I like it in black and white because it also shows all the shadows. And you notice with Anthony Perkins' character, Norman Bates, often his face is half lit and then half in darkness. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. represents the two sides to him. And talk about voyeurism. The, this ca- the camera work in this is extremely voyeuristic. You're peering through a window. Yep. You're peering through the little the hole. hole. I also love all the stuff about birds. So uh, Norman Bates stuffs birds. He a little bit of a that, foreshadowing to yeah, the birds. Yeah, <laughs> Marion Crane. Crane, the last Crane. name. And also <laughs> he notices that she eats like a bird. I love him in this role. At the time, no one suspected him because he was such a nice actor. And he's a little creepy, even as Norman. And then, of course, he goes full psycho. 
Full psycho <laughs> dump dump. <laughs> well, what's interesting, the shower scene took a week to shoot. We talked about that already. Between December 17th and December 23rd, 1959 Christmas. to be exact. Nothing says Christmas more like getting killed in a shower, yeah. doesn't it, Alicia? Yeah. 77, uh, more than yeah, that. Yeah, 77, different. 78 camera setups. The scene runs three minutes, includes how many cuts? Oh, more I don't even 50. know. More than so 50. many. And interestingly, Anthony Perkins was not in that scene. Yeah, because they thought it would might give it away. Even in the shadow, you would notice because he's, he's tall. tall and thin yeah. that it was him. So he actually was not in that scene. And one of the other ways they kept the budget for this movie down was that they used spare sets and crew members from Alfred Hitchcock Presents, the TV show, mm. that the anthology series that, that they were producing at the time. But uh, the, the, the scene just... It's it's the little things that make this movie so creepy too. Just like when you're looking up at the Bates house and seeing Mother in in the, the window, window or or walking back and forth. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting. It's again, it's it's what you see might not what you think you're seeing. It's it's all what you don't see is scarier. And the character of Nolan Bates has to be one of the best villains we've ever seen on film. It's also interesting that Hitchcock financed this with his own money. Paramount just agreed to distribute it. And his condition was that he would get 60% return on the money. Well, he made millions. That was a great decision because this film was so successful. And it also changed cinema going forever because before this, you could go into watch a movie at any time you like. So as movie starts at six, you could, you could rock up, as we say in Australia, you could rock up at 6.45 and, and then maybe just leave at six, at 7.30 and everyone would be coming and going and no one would, you know, pay much attention. Psycho, Hitchcock said, nobody gets seated after the opening credits. So then from then on, people started turning up on time. Who would have thought that Alfred Hitchcock would start that trend? Love so that. So for that, another reason to love this guy. Such Are you a kidding? great horror film. It also changed the horror genre forever by all those twists that nobody saw coming. I really enjoyed rewatching this movie. And I really enjoyed doing this episode of I know. Profiles. We've gone long because we had great guests. Well, you know what? When you're talking about Alfred Hitchcock, you deserve to go long. Somebody <laughs> said we recap our Fast Five yes. coming in at number five the, the birds. birds number four north, north by northwest. northwest number three vertigo, vertigo. number two rear window. window number one psycho, psycho. and we are done with hitchcock that was an incredible episode i can't believe we got to speak with three, three hitchcock, hitchcock blondes. blondes i think i will never watch north by northwest vertigo and the birds in the same way without thinking oh, i got to speak to them i actually feel like going home and watching vertigo again right now yeah Yes. I mean, I think I'm going to do that, actually. So how do we top this week's episode? Well, well with next week, who, who is... Why so serious? Oh, I got the chills, Christopher, Christopher Nolan. Nolan, because you demanded it. And oh, Interstellar's boy, coming out. Did you demand it? Interstellar's coming out. We have seen the film. Yep. We are going to talk about Interstellar. Not too much. Because... We also have a very special guest. Okay, now here's the thing, Profilers. <laughs> Yes, we have a very special guest. Yes. But the way we got this guest is different from anything you have seen before on Profiles. Mm-hmm. You will not want to miss this. No. This is a big, big, big moment for Profiles, for me and Alicia, for Schmoville, for movie film geeks for everywhere. Film geeks. Hashtag film geek. Hashtag film geek. And make sure, again, one last time, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review Profiles. Make sure you come back 
next week. Until then, see you next time. Bye! From producers Christian Harloff, Mark Ellis, and the entire Schmoes No Network crew, we would like to thank you for listening to Profiles with Alicia Malone and Scott Mantz. Special thanks to Kevin Undergaro and Maria Madunos, the author of Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness, in stores now. Be sure to subscribe to Profiles on iTunes and rate and review the show. To get other Schmoes No Network episodes, movie news, and join the conversation, be sure to visit SchmoesNo.com. I'm the Pit Boss, and this has been a presentation of the Schmoes No Network.